So let's everybody warm up, get to it. Mm, I don't know if John X was first going to be a second for the end. James is actually the biggest numbers. There we go. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Seeker. Season 1 is the Book of James. We decided to kick off this podcast with the Book of James because no matter what your background or what your experience is with uh, Christianity or the Bible, um, this is a very accessible way to understand what it means to be a Christian. Matthew 6 verse 25. Well, starting in like verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. I think that therefore is is probably the most powerful therefore in Scripture. Is because you you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and the world. You can't do it. Therefore, don't worry about the world. Hmm. That stuff is going to be... That's... You mm-hmm. worry about God. And you seek first the kingdom of God and His mm-hmm. righteousness. And all that other stuff is going to fall into place. All that other stuff is going to... Tomorrow's got its own troubles. Today's worries are sufficient for itself. You don't have to worry about that stuff. You don't let that distract you. You don't let that take you away from what the real work is and what the real focus needs to be. Because you can't serve both, therefore, don't worry about it. Hmm. I love that therefore. That's my favorite therefore. (laughs) I couldn't have even told you where my favorite therefore was in the Bible, Daniel. <laughs> that sums you up. Like yeah, I, no you were like, let me tell you where my favorite therefore is. I was like, oh, do I have one? Maybe Jesse will have one. That's my favorite therefore. You and I'm cannot like, there... serve both. Therefore, you don't worry about it. And, and my level is: is there even another therefore in this whole book? Yeah, um, <laughs> six verses up. Oh, right, that one. Wow. So there's two then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's one in the next chapter. I haven't gotten that far. Yeah, we're not in five. Yeah. When we get to five, we'll talk about how many therefores there are. And I'll use that in the sermon later. You the try. most powerful therefore yeah. in all the Bible. Yeah. I've been thinking this for years. You didn't you try to forget that therefore. I double dare you now. <laughs> really? You're gonna go home how and be scared to be proud. That tonight? You've double dared me three times. You keep trying you to make to me stop. disagree. Therefore, do disagree. Not. Disagree with me. Come on. You know what my favorite therefore is? Bring it. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. You better get yourself a new therefore. into the fire. You better get yourself a new therefore, buddy. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> that is a scary one. That's a good therefore. You better be bearing fruit. Do whosoever therefore is count? Because if so, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore will confess me before men, 
him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before me, and him will I deny also before my Father who is in heaven. Boom. He just did that double there for from memory. Oh. And he's making fun of like oh. Oh. <laughs> I, That's ho- get denied by the Lord man. T- to to God? That's a good that's a therefore. That's a solid therefore. That's a solid You guys therefore. are at a different level than me. You know how I got my favorite therefore? I just typed in therefore real quick in my Bible search and found a verse. <laughs> so <laughs> granted it was a good one, but like <laughs> Fake it till you make it. I didn't even know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although yours did win. uh. (laughs) I don't know that I won. Yours is pretty good, Julian. Are we going to try and finish the chapter off or are we going to. Do your worst. Call down thunder. Call it. What time is it? 1025. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James chapter 4 and verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Well, that's a very good question, isn't it? I think this is also Please where do. people get, you know, so they, they read this part too and they get caught up and they go, see, this is, um, we're all in the same place, can't judge you. But they almost abdicate themselves from the responsibility of then sharing what the truth is. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they say, no, it's... But but they miss the meaning of the passage. The meaning of the passage is, I'm no better than you. No matter what I do, I never could really attain my salvation. I couldn't, I couldn't be good in front of God to begin with. Never. And it's because of that the love of Jesus Christ compels me to share this message with you. That is what's hap- what should be happening. Not and, and because the message is not used as a grenade or a, a bullet or a knife. It's not used as a weapon. It's actually a life raft. And as long as we always see it as a life raft or a preserver, then I think it's okay to share it with people and you never feel like that you're like stepping on them to elevate yourself because he already told us to humble ourselves and then he'll lift us up. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yes, so verse 11, I'll just read it out again. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge and one who is able to save and to destroy But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Are you thinking about the judging part? Is that what you're over there pondering? Because you're surely not pondering I'm what not, we're going to do. I'm thinking about verse 16. I was thinking about 12. What do you get out of 16? Well, 16 is... I, I don't think I ever... But you boast in your arrogance. 
and all such boasting is evil. Well, what is he talking about here? He's talking about the arrogance of presuming a level of control over your life. A level of, you know, um, what we nowadays would just consider normal course of behavior. Like, you know, coming up with a five-year plan of action and, and making a list of goals and New Year's resolutions and all these things that we, we consider to be positive, valuable acts of self-improvement and, you know, prudent planning and, and wise living. But he's saying, like, you're, you're arrogant if you even think that, you know, you have any right to tomorrow or that you have any sort of claim on anything in the future outside of what God's going to give you. And you don't know what that is. So the presumption of any sort of... I don't want to say any sort of like future planning because, you know, we, we have to... We have to live our... You know, we're not supposed to just sit around and wait for the end of the world. Right? We're not supposed to do that. That's very clear. But the presumption of doing these things outside of the will of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm with you. It is the any time it is making the assumption that anything will be done without God's help and with just that yeah. they will actually gonna make it happen. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. It seems like it jumps around a lot in in this segment. I'm having a hard time kind of making connections from him going into verse 13. I mean, maybe you guys have a better thought on on that, but you know, he's talking about not judging, basically. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Um, and then who are you to judge your neighbor? And then all of a sudden he just jumps into, you know, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, you can go to such and such city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. You know, but who knows what tomorrow's going to be like. You're just a vapor. So it just changes gears there so fast. I think he just does. I mean, I kind of think that he's just transitioning into a new thought. Mm -hmm. See, I I see it as that he he has been running this this theme of vanity and arrogance since verse 5. That's true. Right. Sure. He is, he's been talking about how basically you 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 uh, mute out the spirit because you think it's about you. Um, he tells us down here in seven and eight, you draw near to God. Don't push him away. Don't stiff arm God because you think it's about you. He gives us this this kind of recipe for um, having the right posture before God in nine and ten. Um, and then 11 through 12 is absolutely uh, just telling us not to be arrogant and go judging each other because we are horrible lawgivers and horrible <laughs> judges. Mm-hmm. And and your, what you just said ties me back to 13 and 14 really being just a matter of arrogance in light of the fact that we have no control over the future. Uh, leading us to 16. So I, I think he may say it different ways and he may bring us back to the same conclusion, but I think he's really just just showing us how prideful we really are and, and trying to help us from different vantage points understand how, how we have to turn away from it. 
I mean, it does kind of tie back into verse 6 with being proud, you know, God as opposed to the proud. I mean, if you think that you're in control, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's prideful. So I guess it's not that far removed from where he just was with those thoughts. I'm really on verse 12. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. And I don't know why that's just slapping me around so hard, but I think it's, you know, it's... Again, it's bringing me back to what we were talking about in Revelation. Like, all this, he says all this, and then he says, you know, should I remind you of who's really in control? Like, he keeps bringing us back to that. And he's like, there's just one lawgiver. Like, you are you are a horrible judge. You couldn't give, nor could you keep the old law. Like, you can't handle this. I actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if we have the attitude of the lawgiver... It's interesting. We would act um, just completely opposite of what of what he talks about in eleven and twelve. You know, you think about Jesus and the and the woman caught in adultery. Like, mm-hmm. if we judge if we judge people like they wanted him to judge her, that's that's pretty much how we would judge someone. But the judge of all actually just continuously shows mercy. Mm-hmm. Like, that is how he judges. He judges mercifully and is always loving and still extending um, extremely long-suffering. Um, if you think about Jonah in the city of Nineveh, Jonah actually makes a statement at some point that that he was, you know, kind of upset. And he said, I knew that you would be this way. I knew you would be this way, God. I knew that you would basically be long-suffering and merciful. Like, I knew it. This is the way that you would repay these people. And that's the way the lawgiver operates. But if we want to judge and we want to be in those shoes, we have to do it like he does it. When you do it like that, it's completely opposite from how we would normally choose to judge people and how we would choose to to act towards them. Chapter 5. Come now. It kind of makes me think of, Julian, with what you just said there about how, you know, in the model prayer that God gives us in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse like uh, 12, when Jesus is teaching how to pray and says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, You know, basically, Jesus is such a, a more merciful judge than we could ever be <laughs> yeah you know like you know because we would not normally think to forgive someone if they don't deserve it right like no you're not supposed to do this and you didn't do it you know like why would i forgive you for that it's clear you broke it you know here it is that's what you deserve now right but it's that mindset is just to go back you know forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors it that is teaching us to go into that Jesus mindset of extending that to other people, just as Jesus extends that to us. I mean, Jesus is the model. So that that's just an interesting way when we pray to tie that in, that humbleness. And it's just so funny, you know, even Christians, I mean, we are so quick to judge people. And so, I mean, we're, we're worse, actually we're worse judges than non-Christians because non-Christians just say, yeah, whatever, you know, you like this, I like that, you know, but Christians, man, we just draw a line and that's it, right? Um, 
uh, we lose the model that Jesus had of showing them compassion and, and extending them that same level of mercy. Yeah, I don't know. But then, you know, there's places too where we are supposed to judge, right? You know, with a righteous, righteous judgment. Absolutely. Yeah. Based on fruits, based on... Exactly. Actions, not based on appearance. Yeah. I think we, we get so caught up in trying to, like, protect the gate. You know, we're... Yeah. We're like, oh no, you know, we're going to judge these people this way because they're sinful and they're horrible and keep them outside of the gate. Um... In Revelation, whenever it talks about gate, the gate's never closed, right? It talks about the gate being open, but we want to lock it down. We're like, no, 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 we got to protect this, we got to protect this. And uh, and we're horribly sinful, like, trying to protect it. And who are we? Yeah. Very pharisaical in so many so many instances, you know. God never even asked us to be the gatekeeper. No, he's like, you, he's like, again, like, you're... You can't even park in my parking space, dude. Yep. You are horrible at this mm-hmm. job. Um, Maybe the key master, not the gatekeeper. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> the key master. Everywhere, I'm glad you brought us back to Matthew. Everywhere in Matthew that I look, it's it's that story. I was just looking at uh, 5.43 down to 45, talking about loving your enemies. Jesus, like, I'm going to piggyback. Jesus is way of judging is like looking straight through the person's shenanigans right to their soul and caring about it so much that he's always willing to just like bypass all the nonsense to get to the point like get to the point like he's driving at it and you know no matter what people do he's still pushing it away and driving at it driving at it driving at it it gets it's very hard i just I want to be in that position where um, where I, I really look at someone, and when I look at them, I say, you were made in the same similitude of God. Like, mm-hmm. no matter what comes out of this conversation, I'm genuinely concerned about your soul. That's all I'm really concerned about here. When that happens, I think people sense that, and that's when they open up a bit. When they can, they can sense that about you, that that's what you're driving at. You have mm-hmm. no other agenda except to get to their soul. And say help them, you know. I think that we have sort of a natural inclination to want to paint ourselves in the best possible light, and sometimes that comes by putting somebody else, throwing shade upon someone else, which I think is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, a little further in. Judge not that you be that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he says, in Matthew chapter seven verse three, "Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye?" Which I think directly ties back into what James is talking about at the end of chapter four. He's like, "Who do you think you are?" That you can say, well, you've got this, let me point out every little flaw and fault and blemish in your life. Well, I've got this huge, glaring, obvious horror show going on in my own. So, that idea that you were coming across with, with looking at somebody not to find the speck, not to find that fault, but to look at them 
the same way that Jesus looked upon the adulterous woman when he said, where are your accusers? Mm -hmm. And she says, they're all gone. And he says, does no one condemn you? And she says, no. And then what does he say? Not, you didn't sin, you're okay. Not, um... Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He says, well, then I'm not going to condemn you either. You go and you don't sin anymore. Don't don't do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was that compassion and that love and that mercy and that grace that was shown. And so when we want to make that judgment, that righteous judgment that we're allowed to make, let's remember what measure we need to be using. Mm-hmm. That it's not about the tithe of men to knees and come and it's the weightier matters of justice and mercy and love. Those are the measures that we need to be using. And those are the things that are going to be coming back at us. That's the yardstick that we're going to be held up against. And so that's the yardstick we need to hold everybody else up against. In which case love covers a multitude of sins. Like we can, we can, we can look at each other that way if we have love. And if we do it in a loving, caring, respectful, brotherly type of way. Mm-hmm. When you say it like that, and you do in the course of Matthew chapter 7, we don't have to worry then about, about making a judgment on someone. It's already been done. Mm-hmm. Like God's word is God's word is locked down. We're just, we are merely using, as you said, the exact same measure to help people come back to that. Like, that's the benchmark. And as long as we don't see ourselves the benchmark, it's still to Jesus. We keep pointing back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. All these, you know, all these topics and all these things that, that really push people or or make people feel like we're judging them, we can keep bringing back, look, I'm a sinner too, man. I make plenty of mistakes. I'm a sinner aiming not to sin, um, but you can't be a sinner totally content with sin. Right? You just, you cannot be. And that's what Jesus, I mean, he's, he later addresses. I mean, that's basically what he says in 721, well, 715, he says that this is how you can judge. You know people by how they look, like who they are is going to just shoot out from them. And then later he says, there's some people I'm going to have to say, depart from me, I never knew you, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Seeker. Check out our website at seekerpodcast.com. Check out our blog and other information that we have on the website as well. Have a good one. Bye.